Now, before you get comfy, some of you got upset last week we didn't do this. So, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to look around. By the way, how many, hand, or how many fingers do you have on a typical hand? All right, I want you to find five people, one for every finger, and give them a high five, a fist bump, a hug, a howdy, whatever. You got 15 seconds, go. Five, four, three, two, one. Go ahead and grab your seats and grab a Bible. I'm going to invite you to turn with me over to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We're in a series now for the third week, although this is the fifth message in that series because we're teaching on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. Because there's so much in this little book, we wanted to make sure we didn't miss any of the pieces. So we're going to be going through this really for about four more weeks after today and uh, just invite you to be going through this book with us. One of the beautiful things about the book of Colossians is that it is a letter from our big brother in the faith, Paul, to a church that although there was nothing that he says, you've you got to stop this or start that, he is, he is going to lay on them truth that is not just true for them, but it's true for us. He's going to lay out some things that are vital for us to understand. Now, if, uh, if you, uh, you should have been given one of these a couple weeks ago. This is a little daily journal. That we're using, so every day you can go through and read a section of Colossians. If you do not have one of these little books, just raise your hand real high, keep it up. Some of the guys in the back, they'll come and they will give you one. But if you do have it, go ahead and turn with me. Let's see, what day is it? Hold on. Oh, page 22. That's going to be September the 23rd, and there's a spot there for you to put notes in based on what we will be talking about today. By the way, I'm Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek. If you are a guest, we just want to say welcome. If you are new to church, welcome. If you are coming back to church, welcome. If you are new and just sort of exploring faith, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's our goal to be a church that helps this city meet Jesus, to connect with Jesus, and to to connect with others. And so uh, we hope that you'll stick around. And if you have questions, as soon as we're done here, there's two ways you can get involved, kind of find your next step. One is at the end of this message, some of our shepherds, some of our elders are going to be in A2. It's a room just right on the other side of this wall. And if you want to pray with someone, you can do that. You can also come forward at the end. I'm going to invite you to come forward because we want to give you opportunity to take your next step of faith. The other way you can take a next step of faith is go out to starting point, which is right out these doors in the corner there. One of our ministers, Evan, will be there to receive you, and I'll be there as well. We'd love just to help you take your next step and uh, get you involved, not only in the church, but really with Jesus. And so those will be the directions I would encourage you to take as we get into this. Now, usually with sermons, there's this moment at the beginning where I'm supposed to come up with some real creative, interesting illustration or something to get your attention, some anecdote, some joke, something. I got nothing this morning. (laughs) Because the truth is, whatever I say will not preach nearly as well as the words that our brother Paul has already penned. So I'm going to ask you, would you just stand with me as we read this section of Scripture together and hear the word of the Lord. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 15. Just as you received Christ... 
Jesus is Lord. Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 7. Excuse me, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. By the way, I want you to pay attention through this section how many times he says, in Christ. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Verse 11, in him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. But not only him, listen to this, verse 13. When you were dead, when I was dead, in our sins, and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, God made us alive with Christ. Is that good news to anyone this morning? This is great news. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was given us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the church said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us victory in Jesus Not because of how good we are, for we know better than that, but because of how good you are. Jesus, it is your name that we lift this morning. It is your name that we come under. It is your name, your greatness that we rally beneath. No other name has the power to save, to change, to transform, to redeem, to return us back to who we were meant to be with you. And so it's in your name that we're going to pray this morning. Amen. Go and grab a seat. All right. You guys ready to get in it? If you're not, too bad because we're going at it. Here's the deal. I've got so much to cover. I think I've whittled this message down to about four hours and 13 minutes, give or take an hour. Paul's going to lay out for us a brilliant three-point sermon. It's almost as though he grew up in the Church of Christ. Because he's going to begin with verses 6 and 7 with one point, verse 8 with another point, and then he's going to just like blow us up, verse 9 through 15, with a big, big daddy point at the end. Are you ready? So here we go. Point number one, continue in Christ. Notice what he says, just as you received Christ. And by the way, how many of you are Christ followers this morning? Can I see some hands in the room? If you are a born-again follower of Jesus, amen. I want you to know something. That was a one-time moment where you became a Christ follower, but you now continue in it for the rest, not only of your born life, but eternity, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live in him. That word live literally means walk. How do you get from point A to point B? Well, you walk, you take a step. How do you get from here to those doors? You take Step after step after step. How do you get from the 
car to your house, step after step after step. Life is a series of next steps. By the way, church, this is for free. Every one of us need to be asking the question, what is my next step? For as long as you live, you and I will have a next step. And let me tell you, that's good news because life would be boring. I have two kids. I hate the word boring because I hear it frequently. Oh, this is boring. Life is not boring if you know your next step. It is a journey and a privilege that you get to say, oh God, today is the next day. Today I get to take my next step with you. Life is a journey to be lived. First point, continue to live. Continue to take your next step. Continue to walk with him. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm really excited. Tomorrow is my second birthday. Mm-hmm. Second birthday. First birthday was when I was physically born. Second birthday was when I came to faith in Christ. I was born again. September 24th, 1989. Some of you going, I don't think you were born yet. Well, I was, just barely though. I came to Christ when I was seven years old. Tomorrow, I will be 29 years old in the faith. And I want to tell you, it gets better every year, but it is a process of continuing. How many of us know that it's easy to start something, but it's hard to continue something? How many of you, uh, I won't make you raise your hands on this one, just think in your mind, or give me one of those knowing winks if this is you. How many of you know that it's easy to start a diet... But it is hard to finish or continue a diet. Hello. How many of you know that it's easy to start a relationship, but it's hard to continue a marriage? How many of you know it's easy to make babies, but it's hard to raise them? How many of you know that it's easy to start a new job, but it is hard to continue? How many of you know it's easy to join a new church, but there are days where it's hard to be a part of a church? How many of you know that it's easy to say yes to Jesus, to follow him into the waters of baptism, to be born again, but then there are seasons, not just moments or hours, but days, and for some months and years where you go, it is hard to continue. So Paul's going to give us some real helpful information here. He says, four things. If you want to continue following, living, walking in Christ, four things. Number one, you've got to be rooted in him. Get rooted. Here's the idea. A tree is only as strong as its root system, and the root system only as strong as the soil in which it is planted. Church, your first place to gain knowledge, wisdom, strengthening is going to be the word of God. It's astounding to me how Christ followers are quick to follow the news, to follow social media, but they fail to get rooted in Scripture. If you want a deep, abiding life in Christ, get rooted. Second thing he says here is then you get built up. This is a carpentry building term. The idea is that you are daily laying another brick, laying another brick, another board, another board, another board, that this is a process of daily discipleship. You do those things that build you up. So scripture reading, prayer, silence, solitude. Some of us, it's going to be fasting. (gasps) And some of us, it's going to be different things. I know uh, some of you, you are closest to God when you are out in nature. Do that. Get out. Be there. This is where daily you are putting into practice those things that build you up. So get rooted, get built up. Number three, he says, get strengthened. And that passage is very interesting. He says, 
Don't forget the strengthening that came from what other people taught you. Notice that ours is not a solitary faith. It is a communal faith. If you want to be strengthened, then you get with other people who can continue to teach, to pour into you. And as a result of the rooting, the building up, the strengthening, number four, overflowing with thankfulness. You get thankful. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. How many of you know that one comment has the ability to change the course of a person's life? How many of you can remember in school that one comment by that one friend, or so you thought, and the words came out like a knife? You've heard the, that little phrase, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Hogwash. You and I both know people who have been devastated because of the words spoken. But we also know of those moments where someone has spoken a fresh word at the right time, and it changed everything so if you want to continue these four things that's point number one you say how many points does this message have i get paid by the points so this message is going to have lots of points okay here's the second thing that paul goes into he's going to say the reason you and i need to be strengthened built up rooted and overflowing in things is because There are false philosophies out there. Look at verse 8. See to it, he says, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition. Notice this, two things. Human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And that word, captive, if you like to kind of get into the nitty-gritty, that word is literally referring to someone who is taken as a prisoner of war, a P-O-W. Don't you dare let anyone take you captive, make you a prisoner of war. Through fine-sounding, but ultimately hollow and deceptive philosophies. Now, philosophy simply means love of wisdom. Philosophy in and of itself is not bad, but there are philosophies that look like they're wise, but in fact they are hollow, they are deceptive, they are like, they're like bread. Nice, fluffy, but full of nothing good for you. Although I love bread. Side note. In fact, when you think about this, a number of years ago my dad and I took a road trip together. And one of the things we did is we went to some old stage um, play areas for like movie sets. So you'd go on and you'd see the facade of these buildings. I'll tell you where we were. How many of you remember the Ponderosa TV show? Or Bonanza rather. Bonanza? You're going, no, Ponderosa is where you, where you eat. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Bonanza and the Ponderosa Dude Ranch. We went to a place that had some of the old sets, and it was incredible. You come up, and, and you've got the, the front of the store. You've got the front of the buildings. and all. By the way, just curiosity, how many of you don't have any idea what Bonanza is? Would you raise your hand? We've got a cultural break here. Okay, <clears throat> I'll talk to you next. All right, but for the rest of us, we went. And it was so cool. You could see all this. It's like, wow, it looks so real. And then you walk behind the facades, and you see that these brilliant-looking buildings are being held up by two-by-fours. And they look good on the outside, but you can't live in one of those. There are philosophies that look good, but you can't live in them and survive. 
And he says there's really two extremes where philosophies go awry. In fact, if you kind of want to just sort of see where a false philosophy will lead you, it will lead you, according to Scripture, to one of two extremes. The first one, when he says, based on human tradition, you might want to write this down, one philosophy is what we would call legalism. False philosophies that are built on human tradition and nothing deeper almost always lead to legalism. You say, what's legalism? Legalism is saying, do nothing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, you better not really, really, really do that. It's all about what you do not do. Growing up, not because of what I was taught, but because of where I just sort of naturally lived, I had this belief that Christian living was all about what you don't do, what you shouldn't do. So we would come to church, we'd worship Jesus, we'd go home all week, we'd come back to church and celebrate that we did nothing that week. False philosophies will lead you to legalism. And by the way, a byproduct of legalism is pride because you begin to base your right standing before God on how well you do not do certain things. And you then begin to compare yourself with other people. The other place that false philosophies will lead, according to this passage, is not to legalism but to license. Legalism says do nothing. License says do anything. Notice this. He says according to the elemental spiritual forces. Let's just talk about this. The Bible is very clear that what you and I can see with our physical senses, what we can experience and hold, is not all there is. There is a spiritual realm, including angels and demons. And understand me, false philosophies are built off of demonic world views and ideas. Let's just kind of take a step back in time. What, when you think with me, Bible students, when was the first time a demonic force interacted with humans in human history. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, right? And what does he say? God says, eat of any tree except for one. What does the demonic spiritual force say? Eat from anything. Not just these, but this one as well. Do anything. By the way, we don't call it license in our culture. We call this worldview, this false philosophy, we call it tolerance. Do whatever, believe whatever, say whatever, and no one can disagree or contradict what you're saying. In fact, the only intolerance that we will tolerate is if you're being intolerant of other people who are not tolerant. Brain burp. This is where these tend to go. Now, you say, okay, so what do we do? How do I identify them? I mean, come on, Paul, just show us. What do we need to know to to identify all of the possible false philosophies? Because can we agree there are an ocean worth of false philosophies in our culture? But do you notice Paul, in this section, does not lay out all the possible false philosophies you and I will find. Now, in verse 16... He's going to talk about it some, and we'll deal with that on Wednesday night. But here's what you need to know for now. Paul does not list every false philosophy because false philosophies change with culture. Here's how you can identify false philosophies. Don't focus on the false philosophies. 
focused on the fixed point of Jesus. You say, okay, fixed point. How many of you like to go to the beach? Any of you, you like to get out there in the water? Okay, how many of you like cannot stand the salt water or the sand? You're like, beach? No, not going to go there. Okay, for the rest of us, little beach bunnies, you get out to the water. The best time to go to the beach is right either after or before a storm and the waves are kind of kicking. You know what I'm talking about? Get out there, get played. I remember... A few years ago, I was out there with some friends, and, and we were enjoying it, but it had been a particularly um, rainy couple of days, and the storms had been swirling further out in the ocean, and so what we were getting was just a, a lot more wave action, and it was a ball. We had uh, a football, so we were throwing that, and we were having a great time. But interestingly enough, as we were playing, I looked up, and about 20, 30, 40 minutes later, I looked up, and instead of seeing my beautiful wife with our towels and our little umbrella at the beach... I looked towards the beach. I didn't see my wife. I thought, oh no, she's left me. No, 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 no. I look up and I go, where, where? And I look way down and about two or three hundred yards away, way down there, I see my wife and I see our blankets and I see our umbrella. Now, did the beach move? No. Who moved? Me. Now, here's the reality. You and I are in a culture that is constantly being pushed around and moving. And if you base your beliefs on cultural norms at any moment, you will be pushed off course. Amen? You say, well, but I was with my friends. Hey, guess what? I was still with my friends throwing the football. It just so happened that we were all in the same culture being pushed down from where we were. Don't you dare base your beliefs on the culture or even your friends. You need something that is outside of culture on which to base your beliefs. You need a fixed point of reference. Lindsay, the towels, that little gaudy umbrella, that was our fixed point of reference. And although culture pushes, although the waves keep pushing, keeping your eyes fixed on a fixed point, you know where you stand at any given moment. And so Paul, he says, look, don't worry about all the philosophies. Don't get so wrapped up in understanding all the details of them. Focus your eyes on a fixed point. Something outside of culture and you'll stand firm. Okay, so are you ready for the third and final point this morning? Here's your fixed points, Jesus Christ. And he's just going to hammer us. He is going to just fly through this with some deep truths about Jesus. And I'm very excited, so hang on. I forgot my medicine this morning. Let's get in. Notice this, verse 9, he's going to tell us about Jesus. What is it you need to know about him? Verse 9, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Meaning, if you want to know God, know Jesus. And you, church, have been given fullness in Christ. By the way, if you have everything you need in Jesus, why look elsewhere? If I have all I need in Christ, why look elsewhere? Jesus is the head over every power and authority. And now he's going to start laying out some truth. Here we go. Next slide. In him, you were also circumcised. Now, this is going to re- reference, actually, the crucifixion of Jesus. I'll explain it in a moment. You were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Continue on here. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So in these two verses, he gives us 
Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. His circumcision, his burial, and then his resurrection. So let's just kind of walk through this. In the Jewish worldview, if you wanted to be a part of God's family, you were circumcised. A, little, a removal of a little bit of skin, a little bit of blood, and you were part of the covenant family of God. Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. He is beaten for us. His beard is plucked out, crown of thorns on his head, a cat of nine tails whip, shreds his back. Many people died simply from the flogging. He is ripped And torn apart, not a little bit of flesh, not a little bit of blood, but lots of flesh, lots of blood. And he dies on the cross for you and me. He is then laid in a tomb. And on the third day, on a Sunday, he comes back from the grave. That's, by the way, what baptism symbolizes. And what we are participating in is going into death and coming out of it in Christ. On the third day, he comes back on a Sunday. By the way, that's why we gather on Sundays to commemorate when Christ came out of the tomb. And then he is now resurrected. He is now seated at the right hand of God. So Paul says, if you want to stay firm, if you want to stay rooted in something bigger than culture, keep the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ firmly in your minds. By the way, one more thing. This isn't in my notes up here, but I'll share this with you. Every false philosophy will lead you astray and it'll sh- you can tell it, that it's wrong by the way that it talks about or treats Jesus. Every philosophy will do one of three things if it is a false philosophy. It will either deny Jesus, Jesus is not good and he's not God. It will diminish Jesus, Jesus may be a good man but he was not the God man. Or it will try to distract from Jesus. Yes, Jesus was okay, but you need this. The true philosophy, the fixed position, always leads us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. So he says, this is what it is. So as a church, we're going to continue to focus on Jesus. He is the only one worthy of praise. He is the one who died for us, rose for us, lives for us, and gives us new life. Can I get an amen from someone who's awake this morning? Jesus is the reason we gather and he is the reason for life. So if you want to know truth, know Christ. He then goes on and he's about to give some good news. You want to know what that good news is? Here it is. He says, when you were dead in your sins. By the way, just go ahead and turn to someone real quick. Go ahead and look at someone and just say, you were a dead man. Or if it's a woman, you were a dead woman. Go ahead, tell him. Now, if you're just waking up to hear someone tell you you're a dead man, no, they're not threatening you. You and I were dead. He does not say you and I were sick. He does not say you and I had the cold or the flu. He says you and I were dead. Years ago, I had a friend who was in a real bad boating accident. So bad, he, he had brain swelling and his heart stopped for three minutes. They did work on him and he <gasps> came back. And it was like, oh man, he came back to life. No, they resuscitated him. You and I were not gone for a moment. We were gone, gone, in the grave, dead, cold, buried. And yet Christ came and resurrected us. Hear me now. When someone is saved... It is a supernatural miracle of God because he's not resuscitating us. He is resurrecting us and giving us new life. 
How many of your sins, family, does he say that God has taken care of? Well, look at what he says here. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How many sins, church? All of your sins, past, present, future, the things you should have done, the things you should not have done. Christ forgave you those things. By the way, can I just give you a moment to reflect on what that means? How many of you would say you've got some things in your past? How many of us would say that we've still got some things in our present we just wish we weren't struggling with? How many of us in this room have those moments where we go, oh God, forgive me again. I can't believe I, I can't. Hear me now. He forgave everything you ever did, are, or ever will do. Yours is not a job of working to become better. Yours is a job of celebrating the one who gave you life. This is good news. And he says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Let me tell you, in the ancient world, when a criminal was being executed, they would write out the list of offenses. Well, you've done this, and you've done that, and you've done this, and you've done that. And then they would nail it on to the place of execution as to say, this is why the person is being executed. And I got to tell you, if I were to see that list of my sins, I know a lot of them. I'd go, oh man, just just kind of roll it on the floor. But he says that he took that and on the cross nailed your sins, my sins, he said, paid in full. Debt canceled, you're free, you get life in Christ. You want to know how to get focused on the fall, not the false philosophies you focus on the death burial resurrection of christ you live triumphantly and gratefully and then this final thing i love this one we're going to take two minutes to unpack it then we're going to be done here we go and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross i love what one author says he says this is fighting words have you ever heard of fighting words maybe it's before a football game, or maybe it's, if you like, mixed martial arts or boxing, maybe it's that moment as the two contenders see each other, and they always, they always kind of get up right in front of each other, you know, one of them gives them the other one the crazy eye, and they kind of do this number, and, and someone says something, and someone throws a chair, and it's just, them's fighting words. In fact, this is actually military war language. Here's what, here's what he's saying. I want you to hear this. This is so important. Don't, don't check out just yet. Hang with me. You understand that in the beginning, God created all of us to love and follow him. He made you for him and by him. We were called to love God, but our first parents chose to rebel. They chose to commit treason against the king of the universe. They joined enemy forces, and every one of us through history has chosen the same thing. And then when the battle began... What would happen in the ancient world if you and I were going to go to war on behalf of our king, whichever side won got the loot from the other side. So what does that mean if you're on the losing team? All your loot goes away, including your wife and children. There are records of men 
taking their wife and their children out to the battle lines because battles often were not fought in distant lands but at the end of your cul-de-sac. And they put their wives and their children right there on their side on the battle lines and it was a way of reminding them that if I lose this battle today, my wife is going home with someone else. My children are going to be slaves. This is the end of it all. They were fighting For their families, hear me now, when Christ died on the cross, epic battle was being waged and he looked out across history and said, I'm fighting for my future family. And he died and when the enemy said, I've won, three days later Jesus goes, ha ha ha, no you didn't. And what they would do in the ancient world, the victor would take the enemies chained and walk them through their own hometowns making a spectacle of those they fought and won against. And scripture says, your King Jesus fought an enemy on our behalf. Even though we were enemy combatants, he does not parade us through the streets. Rather, he liberated you and he makes you family. This is the good News. How do you stay moored in a world that is constantly pushed about? You focus on a fixed point of Jesus, 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 Jesus. What's the next word, church? Jesus. Jesus.